All right, everyone, hello. I have a very special and actually quite unique um, couple of guests for you today on the podcast. I have two amazing practitioners here to share with you a, a very interesting story. This is Alyssa Romeo and Adam Foley. They're the authors of Holy Love, The Essential Guide to Soul-Fulfilling Relationships, and they're also co-hosts of the Holy in Human podcast. Alyssa is a licensed marriage and family therapist, an intuitive, and the author of Meet Your Soul. Adam is a certified somatic practitioner and yoga instructor who uses spiritual coaching, somatic healing, and his own intuitive abilities to connect people to their soul. So together, they help individuals awaken and deepen their soulful nature within relationship, which is all the things that I want to talk to you both about today. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you for being here. Welcome to the show, Alyssa. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Good thanks. to be here. Yeah. Anything you want to add to that intro? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> you know, writing an intro is so funny because I'm sure you've been through this where you've, you know, have all these different spiritual experiences and bring it together. And then how it's does like, that really what do you pick? What do you come say? To fruition? Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, and how does that show up as work, you know, for other people? And, um, you know, I don't think we have anything to add to the intro. I think people can feel into through our conversations, yeah. how our, I think when we talk about our work at first, it's, we start pretty broad and then get more specific as we go along. Yeah. Well, okay. So I do have a question to start us off and it's, and you, you do describe this in the book, but just for listeners who maybe haven't um, picked the book up yet, uh, which I highly recommend that you do listeners the the title, Holy Love, um, you talk about why that is important and why you chose that and kind of the, the reclamation of the word holy. Will you describe that thought process to us? Yeah, I love that word reclamation. Yeah, because we know that a lot of people have programming on the word holy, you know, very much a Christian probably association with that word. You know, I grew up um, Jewish. I was raised Jewish. So I didn't have such a strong connotation. Holy was more of a mystical term to me that was not reserved just for saints and prophets, but also life, equality in life. So I kind of came in with it, with that understanding, but we really debated using that word or not for a long time and eventually realized how important it was to us to keep that expression, holy love, uh, because we wanted to reframe how people were approaching love in relationships and redefine what that meant. And a lot of people see love as an emotion that you can either get uh, or give and take, you know, in a relationship, but we really see love as actually a process that's happening to us and that we can never really define love because it's about listening to the wisdom of love in the moment. So we really see love as alive, as an alive wisdom. So just redefining that really changes all relationship conflicts and how we approach it. I think we really see relationships as a portal to the divine and it's a sacred place potentially. And it, it doesn't, need to be, we can stay in ego relating, but a lot of times that's where our problems lie as a marriage and family therapist. And I think a lot of therapists, if you're listening, can relate to a couple comes in, 
they have a problem that's kind of from the ego and there's kind of attachment issues or trauma that's kind of ping-ponging back and forth in the game of your trauma hurt my feelings and that can go on for years and it's kind of like that einstein quote you can't solve a problem from the energy level in which it's created and that's the nature of egos that's what our ego is kind of wired to do and, and so what we forget is that we can raise our vibration to kind of the sacred place and see things from the vantage point of love. And when you look at a problem, when you're speaking to love, it's really different than when you're just speaking from that egoic reactivity. So we see it kind of like as the key out, you know, it's kind of like the get out of jail free card. When you reframe things into a sacred potential, you really are opening the opportunity to summon that energy into the relationship and bring grace into the issues, which gives us a lot more chance of making it through the problem yeah. in a way that yeah. we're more connected. Ah, oh, that's such a beautiful explanation. So there's so many things that are popping into my mind as I'm listening to you speak. And the first one is the, the reclamation of the word holy. And I believe you describe in the book, the etymology of the word holy coming from whole, W-H-O-L-E, to mean like complete, you know, it mm -hmm. is this thing, it, it, complete in and of itself. So um, that's one thing that really resonated with me as I was reading. Um, and then the other thing that popped into my head as I was listening to talk about these, the different types of love, like ego, and I know you, you call this out in the book, the, the four types of spiritual love, I believe. Um, uh, so the concept, uh, I think the question is the concept of unconditional love. Often I have these internal dialogues with myself about what that actually means and how do I show up in relationship and offer unconditional love? Is it possible? I'm curious if you both could speak to this. Number one, I'm glad you have those internal dialogues and ask yourself that because that's literally the hypothesis of the whole book is are we in conversation with our higher selves about what that is? Because my version of unconditional love might be different than yours on a soul level. And that doesn't mean one's right or wrong or better or worse. We have, we see it like God or the unconditional love behind creation is like the ocean. And then souls are like the raindrops. So we're individuated and separate, but we're also of the same material. We're like water or love. It all is kind of connected and that all is all is one way but then there's also these unique individuated higher selves that have different agendas you could say for the life path so based on what maybe what i'm learning in this lifetime is about sovereignty individually in a way where it's setting boundaries and saying no to narcissists and <laughs> learning tough love and that's my highest version of holy love in this lifetime. Um, maybe you're in a place where you're seeing similarities in this lifetime and you're working on some kind of other kind of energetic work between you and somebody who would maybe have that diagnosis or something. So it's kind of like, we don't see there's like right and wrongs or what is unconditional love. There's no like rule book. Yeah. It's really speaking to where you're at and then yeah, asking, talking directly to love, mm -hmm. your, which is to us, your, your soul. It, it's a more kind of individuated form way to hear those directions for everyday life. I think, you know, if we really think about what unconditional love means, like without conditions, uh, I think we use that word, you know, uh, you know, a parent has unconditional love for their child. And this is of course true, but if we really imagine what unconditional means with no conditions with so that means that your partner can be cheating on you can have projections can have wounds up can have all their flaws and they are still received 
they can still re- they still deserve to receive that state of unconditional love. So first it's about defining that, really this field of grace. Like really what is love? Can we really connect to that part in our hearts that's connected to that ultimate love, that ultimate reality of love, but then be very real with our human selves? And how does unconditional love show up in each unique person? Because I think we can hear about the concept of spiritual love and it seems like this difficult to attain states, you know, that's only for the select few, like in spiritually enlightened people, but really I see, and at least I see on sessions all the time that unconditional love has emotions and shows up and takes care of the human self. And so like Elisa said, that unconditional love sometimes can be setting a boundary. Sometimes that is unconditional love yeah. when it's in the highest good of you and the highest good of them. I think spiritual program could hear what, especially in the new age movement, like hear what Adam's saying and say, oh, my partner's cheating on me, or there's an addiction going on in my partner and I'm going to enable or allow any of that on a human plane. Right. And maybe that's spiritual. Maybe that's what Christ would do or some kind of idea of love that we've been spiritually taught. And I think that's why we have in our book, a chapter on like tough love and a chapter on like boundaries and projection. Cause what we're really talking about is not allowing anything on a human level. It's about sight. We're talking about spiritual sight so that in a relationship, like with Adam and I, it's not just Elisa and Adam on an ego level. It's also Elisa, my relationship to my higher self, my soul, Sophia. And then what is she saying about what's going on with Adam? And also what can I see Adam's soul? So even if Adam's doing something limiting or reactive or trauma-based in our engagement, I'm also listening to his unconditional love self and taking direction from that part of himself in terms of how the human is showing up in the interaction. So that might sound like complicated and it is very kind of nuanced, but that's why we wanted to make it like a literal map. Like this is like the operation manual for how to do it because it's actually quite simple, but we just like to break it down really clearly. So we're really aware when we're engaging what level and and what what's happening and really what it is is it's a pull towards wholeness like you said you know uh elisa studied with stanis lofgroff who is considered like an einstein of consciousness really taking things uh further than carl jung or uh, freud did using their theories and taking it further and he made a real distinction between altered states of consciousness and holotropic states he made up this term because he said you know we can all have altered spiritual experiences are just altered states, but are they productive? Are they really moving us towards wholeness? And so holotropic also has that root Latin word, the holo there of that holiness and wholeness. So that experience has to have a characteristic of pulling us towards wholeness. And I just wanted to say that because I think when I say unconditional love in this field of grace, I think it's really easy to start going to spiritual perfectionism or like, how does this affect my life or what should I do differently? But really, it is just as simple as slowing down, listening to your heart. How do I take care of myself today? How do I navigate the situation? But just taking direction from your heart opposed to reactive. And it's really trusting your nature in a sense. It's kind of like radically trusting that our inherent longings and our heart and our wiring and our makeup is all kind of destined for a certain 
thing that we're working towards in this lifetime. And it's this Jungian idea is kind of like the jewels and the symptom. So we can see anxiety as just something that we're eradicating or need to fix. We can also see it as a call towards wholeness. And if we can see it within the realm of what it's trying to bring into our lives or open within us, if we can get closer to it and curious about what's behind it, then it it's an opportunity instead of just like a symptom that's annoying. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there's so many. Okay. Gosh, I, I <laughs> we talk so fast and we like to pop all over. <laughs> yeah, this is good. It's great. It's such um, important information. It's such a relevant topic right now. Um, I was actually having a, I'm going to use a personal experience that I had this morning and last night. I live with two men two boys i have a, a nephew who we've adopted and he's he's like our surrogate son um and my husband and um so it's a lot of masculine um energy and they're they're both from mexico so there's a very different cultural approach to love in my experience um and so one thing happened last night my nephew was describing we were out to dinner and my husband asked him if he'd ever had rabbit for dinner or for to eat you know as a food <laughs> yeah and um christopher kind of christopher is my nephew he was like yeah i've had rabbit and he started to describe how um the rabbit was alive and like his somebody held it up and like beat it to death with mm -hmm. i mean sorry this like put your earmuffs on if you're <laughs> yeah no <laughs> this kind of stuff beat it with a rock and like he just went on to describe in detail to my horror because i have a really hard time um listening watching seeing just even being aware of animal cruelty really viscerally makes me um, unhinged, I guess I would say. So like I went to bed and I got up this morning and I was like, I cannot shake this reaction I'm having. So I brought it up with my husband and I was like, should I be worried? He really seemed like, for lack of a better word, kind of excited about watching a rabbit die. Is this a characteristic of, I don't know. I don't want to even say it out loud. Like, and Jorge is, uh, is my husband. He was saying, well, this is kind of like a cultural thing. You know, we grew up in this way where animals aren't valued on the same scale um, as they are necessarily here in the United States. And, you know, it's just, it's just a different relationship that you have with your dogs. You, if you've ever been to Mexico, yeah, um, you might notice that dogs are just kind of left emaciated in the street or they're only there for um, guarding purposes. So they're not pets and they're not treated as, in my opinion, sentient beings for the most part. That's a huge blanket statement. That's an over um, simplification of what I see, but it is something that I notice. And so coming from a place of love, some, and I'm also a yoga instructor, so often what I say at the end of class is something along the lines of, may all sentient beings be happy and free. And when I'm thinking about that in my heart and when I say it out loud, it is, it is inclusive of all sentient beings. Because I look at my cat, I look at my dogs, I look at the birds outside, the rabbits I see in the forest, and I understand there's a cycle of life, you know, there's life and death, and I understand that that is a thing. But when we get to the point where we're inflicting unnecessary harm, that feels to me like a departure from love um, or the sacredity of life. And so I'm not sure why I went on that rant mm -hmm. other than just to just like, I guess, try to process it in some way. I still feel like I'm holding on to that. But I'm wondering what your 
reactions are. <laughs> well, cultural differences are real, right? And they and that would be part of the human <laughs> section in the ego to ego relationship. And part of it's investigating what are my cultural programs around these different things. And we are really affected by our cultural programming. My relatives are from Southern Italy and it's a similar thing in terms of rabbits. And sometimes you're starving and it's food. And yeah. so they yeah. see it also in the realm of like, we're excited because we're hungry. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like more than most Americans. You actually um, told me when your Italian grandfather came out, he saw the Canadian geese at the oh, park yeah. across uh -huh. our uh, from our house, and he, he was like, "Why is all this free dinner?" You he know, couldn't just, believe they weren't like, being shot. Like, why are these geese just wandering around all over? Uh -huh. You know, um, they see everything as an opportunity to eat. You know, so. Um, that changes things, right? And it affects us and informs us. And so what we would have you do if we were like doing a session is have you meditate and center in and connect with your soul about what she wants to tell you about the whole experience. Why is this happening in your life right now? What is the opportunity for you to learn? What do you have a front row seat in this experience of? What does your soul know about his soul? That can really be helpful with parenting because we have a seven and 13 year old. And there's a lot of times my ego can just trip out about worst case scenarios of how my children are developing or what's going to happen. There's so much fear that we can have because we want them to be successful and happy and prepared for the world. But then our ego can really freak us out. Um, so then centering into what your soul knows about his soul. Cause when I feel into that already, my sense is it would be some pretty validating and calming things about I don't think it's your worst case fears <laughs> about like a budding sociopath, as they say, you know, you didn't want to say it, but I mean, that's like what the studies say sometimes, right? It's like, know, I'm, like oh, I'm enjoying this period. And I, and he feels not to me like that at all. Um, and I think, you know, that as well, but I think you also have a real empath nature with animals. So then you're also like, I know that, but I'm also really feeling the emotions and experience of animals around me, which are really experiencing these things. So and that's not wrong either. That's who you are. Yeah. So if we went through the relationships there, you could see that on the ego to ego level, you saw this thing and it, and your interpretation from just seeing what physically was actually happening was, wait, is something wrong here? You know, is, am I missing something because this is going against some value that I have and is, is something darker about this situation than I even realized. So that's the ego, just seeing the actual what's happening there. But then if you have the ability to first check into your soul, to first say, hey, what is my intuition and love saying about this? And then check into their soul and say, hey, what's really going on with them as an essence? Who really are they as a unique divine blueprint? And I can tell through that relationship, your intuitive information would be, oh, this isn't as dark as I think it is, as I'm interpreting it, they actually have a very loving, nurturing part of their nature. Uh, and then there's the soul to soul uh, relationship, which Elisa was talking about as seeing it from that vantage point of what is the orchestration here? What's the contract here? What am I learning? And what are they learning through this situation? It's kind of like the why of this, why is this being presented in your life right now? Because it's a great opportunity for you to know and feel something deeper. And when we say the ego we think the ego to ego relationship is really beautiful as well. So we're not kind of like kill the ego, annihilate the ego. It, the ego is not your amigo. We're more like <laughs> a healthy functioning ego in service of soul. The ego can be limited and really dumb too. I think on our smartest days as egos, we're still very limited in terms of our 
holy <laughs> information. Um, but that's, but what's great about the ego is it's really functional in the world. And if we can remember to have a practice where we're orienting to that higher part of ourselves and getting information and guidance from that part, then the ego is like, great part of this functional system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. Oh, such a good reminder. I think, um, so as you're saying this, I think it, it's so true that that we often get, this is my work over and over again, it shows up in getting stuck in the ego state. And Adam, you said like, if you can pause first before reacting, and that's always the thing that I'm working on. And maybe uh, 5% of the time I'm able to do. <laughs> and I know well, that yeah. it's a practice and you know, yeah. it, it's a practice for so many of us to be able to, I, to, I, uh, I'm sure you're aware of Tara Brock, how she mm-hmm. yeah. as a sacred pause. And I just, I just love that as a reminder to just, if you can slow down and sense into, um, even like the somatics of it, you know, the body, what is the heart saying, but I'll be damned if it's like the hardest thing for me to do in that moment. So what would you say to developing that practice, honing it, making it something that's a little bit more sticky? Well, to use your example, because it's a perfect one, because you're activated, because you're feeling so emotional, because you're feeling that rabbit's experience on its death. You know, you're going astrally into that experience and you're really emotionally experiencing that because of your empath nature, I think you're more, um, uh, porous than maybe some other people who would hear that story and not have such a visceral reaction to it. Right. So the first step is like noticing, right. Oh my gosh, I'm really, and I'm built similarly to you. So, you know, takes one to no one where it's kind of like, okay, first, what am I feeling in my body? I'm feeling overwhelmed. I'm feeling panic. I'm feeling despair and hopelessness of the state of the world and what's going to happen. And then it's kind of like inner child work. And what's so amazing about the soul is your soul is that kind of all loving mother or father that we might not have had in that perfected state, right? That all loving all the time and wisdom. So it's kind of like, what do I need to know about what's being activated in my body right now? And then sometimes the soul information is go into it, feel it, really experience it, release it. Maybe you need to cry and let things out, but then it might also be, okay, now let's zoom out and see some perspective within the real kind of layout of it, which I think is that there is, I think there's this human, like on a human level, we're all heading more and more towards evolution, but there's like slower and faster rates depending on many different things. And there's kind of a battle always going on, I think with dark and light as well within all that. So it feels like then your soul has a lot to say about what that means just like for today in terms of self-care and just like what you need to know. Sometimes it's like, I'll just ask my soul usually in the morning. Hi, Sophia. How am I doing today? What do you want to tell me about where my ego is just tripping off into the woods with crazy thoughts? And then what is actually reality in terms of how you see things? And she tells me it's very informative. Like if you ask that question, she'll be like, well, um, you're triggered because of your trauma and anxiety in this way. And here's really how we see that. And, you know, kind of reorient. So I think, but the trickiest thing is to kind of remember to remember, right? It's like having the wherewithal to even remember. And I think that's where spiritual practice comes in and having a discipline. So we really tell people, if you can soul journal, we really like journaling because the ego is kind of dumb. And so to have that practice of 
making a record because then when we're in a state of, if we're triggered in a psychological complex, we can go back and like read the journal and remind ourselves and bring us back to that place of love. Um, but yeah, if you can do it five times a week, it's like a life changing experience because it's tethering you back. Um, in the book, I talk about my out-of-body experience. That is kind of what informed me to a lot of these ideas on a feeling level. And I was at a school studying depth psychology and the work of Carl Jung. And it was at that school that I had this out-of-body experience. And I really, I had like a life review, which is a your life from the vantage point of love, but also everybody else's experience of the, those interactions in your life. So it's like this expanded movie um, in terms of awareness. And what was shocking to me about that experience was things that I thought were spiritual or even my soul were more conceptual. But when I was in the energy of it, I really didn't know her. I didn't know who I was on that level, my higher self as like a personal and direct intimate relationship. And so she, when I came back into my body, it was really imprinted within me to stay tethered to that part of me that does know. Cause when I was on that side, I knew everything. Any question I had was immediately answered. There was so much more wisdom and love available in that plane. So when, as I felt myself getting dumber and dumber, going back into the ego of Elisa Romeo, I was really like, okay, I want to create a practice that tethers me, brings me back, no matter how kind of off the trail I get mm -hmm. to reconnect to that eternal love and wisdom. So I'm a Capricorn. I'm very practical at the end of the day. So I'm kind of like how, even though that story sounds really wild, it's kind of like, how do we just rem remember to remember? How do we create structures in our lives so that we're being held to remember? And it's, it's kind of, um, you know, it feels like, oh, another thing I need to do to be spiritual. I got a soul journal, but really it's such a relieving practice. Every time I do it, I'm just like, yes, <laughs> it's just like relief and a, re and a reminder that like mostly things are just going to be okay. Mm. Yeah. I love you. I, lo <laughs> I love you too. <laughs> you know, when we get in that place, it's all love. So we love it. We are love. Oh, we become so love. I love you said yeah. that. <laughs> The Freudian slip. We're all in love. Oh, that's great. Um, so, <laughs> so journaling. That might be my favorite thing that's ever happened in an interview. Yeah, me too. I just want to say. I would agree with you. And now <laughs> we've got, we made it. Interview's over. I think that's yeah. the whole point. We got yeah, to where we needed to go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, soul journaling. Um, I always like to know, like, people's habits and behaviors around those practices like down to brass tacks and I'm not a Capricorn I'm a Pisces so I'm usually like oh it's <laughs> it's sparkly it's shiny I'm going this way and that way but there's something in me that also likes very tangible concrete practices so will you tell me both of you I want to hear both of you about your um like your bookends of your day how do you create this container for this space of your soul fulfilling relationships? Do you have morning rituals, evening rituals, daily rituals? Yeah. Uh, you know, we are parents with two kids and we really wanted to make this really accessible and really practical. You know, one thing we said is we wanted people to be able to soul journal like on the toilet, like, because <laughs> sometimes as a because parent, that's, that's all the time you have. You know, like, I mean, yesterday I had no time for any sacred time really, but I still had 
10 minutes here and 10 minutes there to really sit down and hone in there. So we designed this in a way that it, that if you're busy, if life is chaotic, we, because it's easy to hear our intuition when we feel relaxed, right? When we're in a place where we feel like life is good, then usually the spiritual answers kind of come, you know, we feel less triggered. So we wanted to make a practice you could do when you were triggered to help deescalate or when you were stressed and lost. So we really stress the, that soul journaling piece as much as possible. So the practice works as just like an act of imagination. And so imagination, we say, is a way that you can have access to greater intuitive information. You know, this is why psychologists are obsessed about analyzing dreams, because so often through these weird images, we have kernels of truth that's beyond what our ego is capable of knowing. And those are the answers we're always looking for, right? Like in that example with the rabbit, we're just going to use that example this whole interview. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, you know, your interp- there's your interpretation of it, but then how do you get to the actual information? So you might have a dream, you know, about it. That's maybe the images are accentuated or exaggerated and might give you nightmares or things like that. But then within those, you can find those answers. So I like to phrase it that way because you don't have to believe in any of this to do this practice. You don't have to believe that soul exists or that the divine exists or that love is really connecting us to a greater source. You can just play with it and practice as if it's a creative writing exercise. And it's very simple. It's creating a dialogue between your ego and your soul self. Mm -hmm. And so we create a two-way conversation so that we can hold our lower self, our human emotions with love and get that information here. So it's not this pressure that we need to be in a connected state at all times. It's more like, no, it's okay. If we have our human self, if we feel like this morning, I feel like crying and I feel anxious and I don't know why. And I'm in the soup of my human experience. And that's exactly where you're supposed to be. And so talking to the soul is often like that. It's a little different from just getting psychic information because, you know, we can train. There's a lot of people that train just like getting psychic info because intuition and talking to your soul is always connecting to yourself and to love that higher vibration of love. So we encourage people to give their soul a name and this name can change and it's and to pick a name that represents unconditional love and all-knowing wisdom to you so and this is just a fake it till you make it just pretend for a little bit and then from your ego self you can just ask the question you can do this in your head or you can do this journaling mm-hmm. uh you can ask the question hey why do i feel weird soul today like what's going on with me and soul might just say something like you're overwhelmed and you need 30 minute break to just relax. So the information may not be some profound thing. It may not be, Hey, you're an incarnated soul on the planet and your job is, you know, and here's your purpose. And sometimes it's just like, just take a breath, just slow down because it, and there's always a feeling as you journal over time. And as you develop that relationship, you will start to recognize this feeling of recognition because usually it's a truth that we always knew in the back of our head. You know, like a part of us always knew in the situation with you and the rabbit. I'm going to keep going back to this. It's your ego has the anxiety. Oh, wait, what does this mean? But there's also a part of you the whole time that knew that it didn't mean what your ego was interpreting it as. So can you feel that a little bit as you think about that? Like, can you feel that part of yourself? Oh, yeah. And, and you hit the nail on the head, Alyssa, when you were like, 
you know, if I if I zoom back from the experience and I think about Christopher, who is a highly intelligent, loving soul, I've never seen him harm a fly. You know, he doesn't exhibit any kind of like um, aggressive or violent tendencies. He's very helpful. He he never like like he's like. You know, if I were to have a child and I were to have like put certain characteristics into them that I wanted, ideally, it would it would be him. He's like mm. an ideal little soul, and he's very sweet and kind and loving. So I do know that, and I think, yeah, you're right. Like it's it's the ego that kind of comes in and is like judgmental. Um, I I struggle with this a lot because. I am like basically the only empath in my family and surrounded by a lot of this heavily charged, um, I, I don't know, I don't think aggressive is the right word, but it's it's a different kind of energy than empath. I don't know if you have a, a um, word for that, but I'm struggling with one myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it feels like often I'm bumping up against fighting this battle of... Um, can we be more compassionate with we, with each other? Can we can we come from a place of understanding, love? Can we be less judgmental, just within my little home nucleus? Um, and because I believe that, like when you start at the home, and I think this is something you speak to in the book as well. It's like being able to have these loving relationships with people outside of our own body. It really starts with the connection to the self and the soul. How do you, how do you, what's that internal narrative? What, how do you talk to yourself? What is your connection um, with your self care routine? Things like that. Um, so I feel like this is a theme that comes up in, in my life over and over again that I'm, I'm constantly um, trying to navigate. And- part of the human realm, the ego part is cultural, but it's also personality type. Mm-hmm. And it's also for an empath or what we call someone who's more energetically dense. Dense does not mean dumb because there's a wisdom and thank God for more dense people. Cause if everybody was empaths, it would be a different, you know, yeah, <laughs> it's a, it's a different, we need different types here, but I also think empath, you know, being an empath is such a journey. And I think if you're an empath, if anyone's an empath, you should definitely get like 400 books on being an empath because it is a super specific path. And I think going from being an unconscious to a conscious empath is a real thing. Um, and we're not supposed to just be triggered and activated all the time. We're here to be the healers. We're here to be the seers. And because our society doesn't do a great job of validating and nurturing that, we have to do a little extra work to be doing the self-care around. There's more self-care when you're an empath than if you're a dense individual. Um and the density is like a rock, right? That's what's nice about the dense people. They're like steady. <laughs> They're like, what you see is what you get. There's not a lot of like variance in terms of um, that, the energetic nature, not necessarily emotionally, but energetically. Well, um, empaths also have to end up becoming Jedis of emotional navigation of the minutia of emotion, you know? So it's feeling the I'm sure all of us in this conversation can feel the waves of all the different minor little emotions, you know, that are happening at the same time where other people may experience more of a broad sense of uh, broader categories of emotions. So empaths often have to become very good at navigating themselves, knowing what is authentic for them and what is inauthentic because when an empath is speaking with somebody and something feels false about that interaction, 
something feels very inherently wrong. There's this kind of sense sometimes almost of urgency of like, wait, what? Like, I want to shake myself, them awake or this interaction awake more because I'm looking for real emotional contact. So empaths can get very good at that heart to heart connection. And the last part that I'm sensing in your particular in experience <laughs> is the personality type difference of on the Myers-Briggs, there's a big difference between S's and N's. And I think you're surrounded by S's and I think you're an N and that's my hypothesis. Um, and N's are different in how we're affected. We're a little more metaphysical, philosophical. It's the concepts, the value, the meaning. We're always seeking meaning. S's are more here and now. And S's are just as loving and heart opening as N's, but it's um, it's psychological diversity type, right? It's a diversity issue. And so it can be so useful to kind of, in terms of the ego to ego relationships to really learn a little bit about, there's this good book called Type Talk I love that that's really understanding the SN differences. Cause of my sense is if you uh, had a little more psychoeducation about that part of it, you would feel such relief because I think we can often experience either I'm wrong or they're wrong because we're having really different experiences. But when you come to understand, Oh, like, they're wired and that's who they're supposed to be as a human. And I'm wired like this and this is who I'm supposed to be. I, I remember reading that book once and with an ex-boyfriend who was, he was, I'm an ENFJ and he was an ESTP. And I remember reading like, these are the arguments you have. And it was like, word for word, like, <laughs> like things of me being like, do you, why are you running from your feelings? He's like, why are you depressed and processing everything? And then just seeing, oh, that's just yeah. our psychology. Like he wasn't, and I wasn't, that's just, we're wired differently. Um, so it can be a great relief to yeah. understand that element. Cause then we stop banging our head against the wall or misreading things or projecting a lot of holy love is just about sights, right? Are we able to clearly see their soul or do we have it? programs, belief systems that are blocking our ability to feel their essence because we're triggered on an ego level by our understanding. Carl Jung has this phrase that the number one mistake that all humans make is psychologically assuming others are like ourselves. So it's really hard if someone does an action not to be like, well, I know what that means. Cause if I was doing that, this is what it would mean. Yeah. Right. But you really have to be intuitive or psychic to be like, no, but what are, why are they doing it? And that's developing the, my ego to their soul relationship of like, Adam said this thing that really annoyed me and was really offensive. I can't believe he said that. And I could get really activated and really reactive. But then if I check in Sophia, what did Adam mean by that? Oh, he was working through a process and he was kind of babbling to find out how he did feel. Oh, what if I ask Adam Soul, what did he feel? He was unconsciously testing something because he wants to be held loving. You know, it's like you start to get this information and then it's like really widens how Elisa is going to get worked up or want to battle that or whatever. So it's really gives us, we have a 13 year old as well, who's very developmentally going into his hormones and it's so useful. <laughs> I can't even tell you. I mean, I think for parenting, it's like the best um, to be able to have that access. Sometimes at night, it'll even get louder. I was really triggered in the, my, yeah, he's 13. So he's really, we really noticed it this year, really big shift. And I was so worried about a month ago, just like 
so like, is he pulling away? Is he depressed? Is it, did I do something wrong? And at night I could really hear us so loudly, like, hi mama, I love you. I'm really going through a phase where I just feel so uncomfortable in my skin. I can barely handle it. I'm going to go to my room more. I'm going to close the door. I'm still here. Nothing's wrong. I need you to give me my space. I need you to be okay. I need you to know I'm okay. And it was like, tears of relief to be able to access that, you know, and I had to, you know, get some space and meditate and relax to access that. So I think it's just remembering, like, we got to move out of beta state to get to theta, to be able to even start to receive some of that information. And the more we meditate and soul journal, the more it happens. But uh, this is really long because you asked the question I think, yeah. like 25 <laughs> minutes ago, but how do we use this in our life? But Adam, yesterday I saw him grabbing his journal, writing five quick questions with his soul between this manic day. I started a migraine. And so I was down for the count and he was like doing a million things with the kids and running around. And so we use that like for us, this is like a lifeline for us. We for sure practice this. This is, I think our main spiritual practice is like, and how was it for you when you, when you're feeling? Well, it was great. I know we, we just keep going on and on here. We tend to like do lots of information, uh, but you know, so like what Elisa was talking about that ego to ego relationship, identifying that can be so helpful, identifying personality differences, because if you were to hold that rabbit and to kill it, what like for you, what would that emotional experience have been? What type of rage would you have to access or what type of sacredness would you have to create around that process to make it a, a true thing for you? And so it'd be so easy to be like, oh, geez, you're a violent person, you know? And so that's that ego to ego. So just to identify that or the example with our teenager, if he's, you know, going up into his room by himself for us to interpret that as parents as like, oh, like he doesn't like us anymore, you know, <laughs> uh, opposed to it, if we're just looking at the surface level. But then if we can access that part of him, that's like, oh no, this is so natural, a natural part of his development. And it's so healing for him. So it's really identifying that first. And that really just changes everything. Also, this is kind of a side note, but I mean, we live on native land up here, the Squamish Native Americans, and we have looked astrally and talked to <laughs> Indians up here. We will talk about how you kill from love. <laughs> Yeah. How do you actually hold that space and run that? I honor the spirit in you, the sentient part of you. And unfortunately, part of this light and dark based universe in the 3D is we have to kill to live, even if that's plants. Plants also have feeling and consciousness. And for us to survive, there's there's an agreement we make in this dimension that's things will die for us to live. And how do we get in kind of like right, you know, right, not as right and wrong, but kind of like right alignment around really being conscious of what energy we're doing that from. Are we respectful? Are we coming from love? Are we recognizing what we're doing? Are we up front to it? Are we in some kind of denial? So yeah. th there's that reality too, right? Um, so it's kind of like what level of consciousness we're coming up on. Well, then there's your four spiritual relationships with the rabbit too. <laughs> right, <so. laughs> which, which literally we do. Yeah. Can yeah. we, can you um, state those for me? I know you describe it in the book, but yeah. because you, you do, you have said it, but I want to yeah. hear you tell me the, the four yeah. relationships. Yeah. So there's the ego to ego relationship. So this is our, in our surface level interpretation of this interaction. There's Adam talking to Tessa and, uh, 
our ego relationship is based off our past beliefs, our culture, our upbringing, um, our, and our idea of self and who we think we are is a good definition of ego, who you think you are. Yeah. And it's, and it's like that iceberg where there's a little bit above the surface and there's all this landmass underneath. And the underneath is more your subconscious where your dreams come from your energy body, which most of us are pretty unaware of. And I think in America, we don't focus much at all on that. Yeah. So in an ego to ego relationship, that's also your interpretation of what that relationship is. So often you might have an interpretation of, oh, this relationship's great. I have this friend, they're my greatest friend and it's really great. But then if you actually get into your intuition, you might be like, actually, this has been really unhealthy for a long time, you know, or, or something like that. Or you might interpret a relationship as really terrible. And then you might uh, check in with your intuition and realize, actually, no, this has been, it's actually just triggering a wound in me. It keeps bringing it up and it's actually a really healthy, good relationship. So the ego is that interpretation of the relationship. And it's important to have a healthy functioning egoic relationship. The second relationship is our ego to our soul. Mm -hmm. So this is what we were talking about, the remembering to remember. How strong is your practice in connecting to your intuition? How familiar are you with that still small voice? How much do you recognize that voice as you, as a part of you? And then there's the ego to their soul relationship. So this is your, your ability to be in awareness of your partner's essence, their energetic body, what makes them uniquely them. We like to say, you know, if your partner was in a coma, how would you love them? Like, how would you know them if they couldn't, if it wasn't based off their words or their actions are what you, what they do for you, just their essence. So it's becoming aware of that part of them. And, and after that, they die, it's how do you find them? Because we also work as mediums. And so we connect people to the spirit of the person that they love that literally still exists, but in another plane. So yeah. it's how do you find them? Where do you love them from? How do you know them in that essence way? Yeah. So we, the soul is the part of you that existed before you were born and after you die. This is the eternal part of you. And we think that's so important to bring to awareness in relationships because otherwise our partners are just placeholders and they're irreplaceable. Yeah. So it's or replaceable. They're replaceable <laughs> in the sense of if you're, if you're not aware of what makes them uniquely them, like, why are you in love with that person? Why is it them out of everybody on the planet that has sparked your joy and your interest and your love for them? So it's getting in contact with that part. And then the final relationship, the fourth relationship is the soul to soul relationship. And this is the spiritual orchestration, the lessons and the contracts that's behind everything going on. So when within a conflict, you can ask, uh, you can call in your own intuition. You can become aware of your partner's essence and more of what's going on with them intuitively. Or you can also go just take a higher vantage point and look down at it and ask the questions of what if this is all on purpose, if I'm hypothesizing there's meaning in every moment and there's meaning in this conflict, what might that be? And uh, that relationship happens if we're aware of it or not. So we're going through those uh, spiritual lessons 
if our ego is aware of it or not. And uh, so it's just making that more conscious. And in the book, we have a diagram because we think it's really helpful to visually yeah. see it because it can sound like a lot, but, and our web, our website and our podcast is holy and human because that you've got the two levels going on. The ego to ego is that human. And then we're also holy. We are these souls having this incarnated human experience, but that really is a true part of our identity, whether we're kind of seeing that or not in each other. And honestly, it just makes it a lot easier if we do, I think especially like with what's going on in Ukraine right now. And, you know, you, you're talking about Adam's story in India. It's like he, Adam was like basically close up to this terrorist bombing and saw people die around him. So I think a lot of our motivation in this work, it's like a real calling because we truly believe if you see someone's soul, you can't act as anyone's like your enemy in that way. You can't, you know, just go in and bomb a group of innocent people. Right, right. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. I appreciate it. There's two things I wanted to touch on. Um, one, the conversation around empath. I think it's so important. I actually just interviewed Signe Myers Hovum. I'm not sure if you're familiar with her work, but she wrote the empaths field guide. I think it's, yeah, the empaths field guide. It's a fairly recent interview. Um, and so I'm going to link to that into the show notes for those that identify as empath and are wanting to read more about it. Cause it's a great book. It was a great conversation. Um, and then the type talk book that you mentioned, Aly- Alyssa, what, who's the author of that? I don't know offhand, but it's like, um, if you, it's like how the 16 types are in work play and something else like that. So if you, I think it's the only one that comes up for type okay. talk, if you put I'll it on like up. Amazon or something. Yeah. Oh. It's in a while. There's also another one that's like type talk at work or love or something. But the, the one I'm speaking of is just the, the entry point one okay. type talk. Gotcha. I want to link to that in the show notes too and read it myself. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good one. I, we're, I'm kind of obsessed with Myers-Briggs, you <laughs> yes. know, and, and one thing that I'd like to say to tie it all together, just about personality types, because this is something you won't find in type talks is <laughs> so originally it was the personality types was originated by Carl Jung and then Isabella and Katie Briggs took it further and made it, you know, there's now a, you can take it the Myers Briggs, you know, and, and made it into a system and all systems, you know, have great benefits, but also flaws. So it's always good to, you know, use it for where it's useful, but step out of it where, for where it's not. But, uh, one of the things that inspired Carl Jung for these types were, uh, was Hinduism because he spent a long time in India mm-hmm. and how in Hinduism, they believe there's so many different paths to God and how we each, you know, your yoga teacher, you're, you're aware of all the different types of yoga, uh, are all different paths to God. You know, there's physical yoga, but there's also heart yoga and uh, wisdom yoga and knowledge yoga. So it's, and what they really saw with that is we are all born with a disposition, So some of us may find the divine more through knowledge, through combing through religious texts and research and that's driving for knowledge, or some of us might find it through action, through karma yoga, through doing, uh, through activating, oh yeah, there's that too, but through activating the heart through acts of kindness. And so there's all these different, our bhakti yoga through, you know, the heart, which is a lot of the relationship work. And so it really stems from that. So when we look at Myers-Briggs, we can see it as so psychological, but really the very root of it is this, how do different people find the divine? And so I think that's- And the divine in each other. I think that's how you can use it for relationship because it's kind of like, again, when you just kind of really 
can type someone, it sounds so like, oh, I'm going to label this person. But right. through that system, a freedom comes because now you're like, I understand how we're different. So I'm not going to make you trying to be like me. And I'm going to see your the beauty of how you enter the divine. And it helps us get out of our own limited experience. So one difference between you and your partner, that SN difference is he may find meaning and purpose in his life more through the long term. He's like, Oh, I'm showing up for this relationship. I'm showing up for love. I'm seeing love more as my actions over time and our traditions we create together. S's have more of a sense of time where ends are a little bit more trapped in the very moment. And I'm, and you're more like defining love by, well, how conscious is our conversation in this moment? You know, how are we really being aware of love right now, right here, because that's how you define love. So and the S's can be like, don't you know, I love you. Hello, I'm here. And ends are yeah. like, but how's this moment feeling? Yeah. How am I experiencing? What's the meaning? Let's process yeah. it. Can we talk about it? <laughs> yeah. percent. I had this very conversation with my partner this morning. <laughs> and right. came no. up, so he's so good. I mean, we've been together for over a decade and um, we've really grown together so much, but at the end of this conversation, he came upstairs and gave me a hug. And um, it was just the sweetest. It was the sweetest thing. Yeah. So you guys, thank you both so much. I really appreciate your time. I want to, I could take a whole other hour. I feel like I would love to schedule a follow-up conversation with you because there's so many other questions I have that I didn't even get to. And Adam, what you said about... Um, Carl Jung being inspired by Hinduism, I did not realize that. And, and then the development of the Myers-Briggs from there. And then one thing I would say about that topic is the different types of yoga, I find the Bhagavad Gita to be like such a beautiful kind of roadmap to all of those different um, ways that we can connect with yoga as it relates to our personality or, or what draws us to yoga um, and how to actually practice that in our, in our daily lives. Yeah. Um, but so thank you so much. I want to know how can people connect with you? Where can they go to find out more? If you're interested in trying any of this stuff, if you go to our website, holyandhuman.com, we have free guided meditation. So you can really experience playing around and feeling these concepts because it's really an experiment. It's really about, you don't really know until you try it, what, how it's going to feel and how it's going to be. And we do sessions and we do retreats and we'd love to hear if people read the book, how you experience it and what you're what you saw felt experienced yeah yep. and we have a podcast called holy and human that's on all platforms great oh, thank yeah. you so much i really appreciate your time thanks for your time as yeah, well such a pleasure thank you yeah everyone that concludes another amazing episode of outside the studio i hope you enjoyed yourself i hope you learned something new maybe remembered something old maybe felt inspired to apply something to your life my <laughs> you can hear my dog in the background she's doing a little happy dance um so daisy enjoyed it anyhow i wanted to just pop in here to wrap us up to say a couple of things number one i have such an amazing team that helps me put these podcasts together without them i wouldn't you know, be able to bring these amazing conversations to you. So thank you to my producer, my director of creative services, my sound editor, my um, engineer, Consistency Media. Don't know what I would do without you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And the amazing creation and artistic 
musical genius, Drew Lovern. Thank you so much for putting together this music for specifically for outside the studio. So unique to the show, only place you're ever going to hear it is right here. Thanks, you guys. You make my world go round. Stay well, everyone. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Share on the socials, especially if it's a show that you think, hey, this could help somebody else. That's what this is all about, right? We're sharing information so that we're better, um, so that we're inspired, so that we're lifting each other up and we're learning how to be in this world, living on this planet to the best of our ability, sharing information and inspiring one another. And that's my hope. That's my hope for the show. Take care.